Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk about, man, a hostage situation unfolded in Austin, Texas on Tuesday night that left two dead. As a patient, can you carry a gun in your doctor's office? Also, Brandon Straka and Joe Biggs were arrested for their role in the Capitol riots. But you know what? Take a look at this video here. This happened in Austin, Texas, in South Austin. Take a look at this video. All right, so we're looking at is uh, in South Austin on South First Street uh, between – it was right on South First Street and Fletcher Avenue. This guy here attacked a lady, a female, in her vehicle. He was trying to carjack her while she was inside her vehicle. This guy banged on the window. He tried to rip – he ripped her side mirror off of her vehicle – and this guy has still has not been captured. He's not been caught yet. And so these are some of the things that people face. And so what this person did, they say, you know what? They wanted to take their own personal protection in their own hands. They decided to walk to the gun store to buy a gun. So I want to talk to you first about what can you do? What can you do about someone attacking you while you're inside your vehicle? And this question comes up a lot in the Likes to Carry Handgun course. All right, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, someone's attacking their vehicle. They want to shoot this person. Well, you know, unfortunately, the law does not give you that opportunity to shoot this person just because they're attacking, they're attacking your vehicle. We have what we call in Texas the Texas Castle Doctrine. The Texas Castle Doctrine says that if someone's attempting to enter your vehicle or trying to remove you from your vehicle, you can use force or daily force to stop that person. So let me talk to you about, you know, what can you do as a – a vehicle owner, as a citizen of this city, this state, this county, this country, what can you do in Texas as far as you having a gun in your vehicle with or without a license? 
So you don't have to have a license. You do not have to have a license to have a handgun in your vehicle concealed in your vehicle in Texas. You don't have to have a license for that. You can have a handgun concealed in your vehicle without a license. Long gun, rifle, shotgun, AR-15, AK-47, you can have that in the open in your vehicle. It can be in the open or concealed. You don't need a license for that. But now, let's say, let's say someone is attacking your vehicle. They're trying to carjack you. What we have in Texas, we call that the Texas Castle Doctrine. The Texas Castle Doctrine says that, that if someone is attempting to enter your vehicle or trying to remove you from your vehicle unlawfully, you can use force or daily force to stop that person. So let's say you're at a red light, you're in your vehicle, and all of a sudden someone comes up to your vehicle. They're pounding on your vehicle. There's nothing that you can do. Stay in your vehicle. I recommend that you roll your windows up, keep your windows up, keep your doors locked. Don't let that person get inside your vehicle. There's nothing that you can do. Stay inside your vehicle. You cannot get outside the vehicle. The law does not cover you if you get outside your vehicle. Once you get outside your vehicle, you leave the your safety net there, your safety zone, then the law says, hey, why did you get outside your vehicle? Why would you get that, that, that coverage of safety there? So you put yourself in harm's way. So I recommend that you stay inside your vehicle, windows up, doors locked. Now, and I keep in mind, I'm not an attorney. I can't give you legal advice. I'm just telling you from a license to carry handgun instructor what we tell people in class. All right, so now this person's pounding on your vehicle. They're attacking your vehicle. They're causing damage to your vehicle. There's nothing that you can do other than insurance to pay for that damage, or you can file a civil suit and make that person pay for it. That's all that you can do. All right, so roll that video one more time. So let's say this person's attacking your vehicle. They're pounding your vehicle. All right, so stay inside your vehicle. Now, let's say they attempt to enter your vehicle. Now, if they're entering your vehicle or they try to remove you from your vehicle, then you can use force, data force to stop them. This video that we're watching right now, if this person was to reach into that vehicle, that person can use force or deadly force to stop them. If that person tried to remove that female from that vehicle, she can use force or deadly force to stop them. There's not much she can do because he's just pounding on the vehicle. He's kicking the vehicle. He's ripping the side mirror off the vehicle. There's not a whole bunch that you can do. And unfortunately, that is, that's how the law, the state of Texas, looks at that. So if you don't like the law, you don't like that, then I suggest you go to the Texas State Capitol between now and June and you get an elected official to uh, create a bill to get that change if you don't like it. Because that's the law. That's how the law looks at it. And that happened. That incident happened right there on South First and Fletcher in South Austin. And guess what happened? This guy was not caught. He was not caught. He was not captured. He's still free. He's still walking around in South Austin right now trying to carjack another person. What happened when this when this incident went down? Well, inside one of the vehicles that witnessed this was a off-duty black police officer. When the police officer showed up, you know what they did? He, he got out of his vehicle. He said, hey, this guy did this. This guy did this. He was a police officer. He wasn't from Texas. He was from New York. And you know what they did? They were focused on him because he had a gun. So their attention went on this guy because they found out he had a gun. So they focused their attention on him. They didn't focus their attention on the bad guy who actually got away. So this is why I recommend that you stay in your vehicle, windows up, doors locked. Don't mention the fact that you're carrying a gun. Don't show your gun. Don't threaten someone with a gun because if you do, when the police arrive, they're only going to focus on the gun. That's all they're going to focus on. That's what they're trained to do. They're going to look at that gun, focus on the gun, and that's all they're going to do. So don't do it. Don't pull it out. Don't threaten someone with it. 
Only pull your gun out if you intend to use it. So stay in your vehicle, windows up, doors locked, and you'll get through that stop. That person enters your vehicle, you stop them. They remove you from your vehicle, you stop them. They try to kill you while you're inside your vehicle, you stop them. And that's how you do it. I don't care if it's a protest. I don't care if it's a riot. I don't care if there are people that are in the roadway on I-35. There's not a much, not much under the Texas law that you could do. So that's my advice to you. That's what happened in South Austin. Stay in your vehicle, people. Listen to the law. Take a class. Take your license to carry handgun course, whether you intend to carry a gun or not. Take a class so you know what use of force and daily force is. You can't take this and learn this online. You can't, you can't learn it anywhere else. Come to a class. Ask questions. People are shocked and surprised about what the law says. They're shocked and surprised about what they can do, what they cannot do. When they come to class, ask questions, and let's bring up all these different scenarios. Hey, what if this? What if that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I shoot a person in the back? Come to class. Take your license to carry handgun course. You're going to learn today. I promise you. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so a patient, well, a hostage situation unfolded in Austin on Tuesday night that left two people dead. And as a patient, can you carry a gun in your doctor's office? So let's talk about this. All right, so and so on Tuesday night, a psych, um, he was a, um, what was he? He was a, uh, I'm trying to think what was his title. He was a, um, God, all right, come on, help me out here a little bit. He was a pediatrician, thank you. He was a pediatrician. And he went into another pediatrician's office 
and to ask, I guess, to ask, you know, if he could volunteer. Uh, but the problem is when he asked to volunteer, he actually carried a lot of guns with him. He carried guns and ammunition and stuff like that with him. And the pediatrician said, no, you know, I don't need your assistance. And this guy decided to, you know, hold everyone inside the office, the employees hostage. You know, and one thing unfolded, you know, ended up in the end, the other pediatrician, the female, was actually shot and killed by this other pediatrician. And then he took his own life. He killed himself. So my question to you is, if I'm at the doctor's office and I'm going to my regular doctor's visit, can I carry a gun in my doctor's office? So let me tell you. All right, here's how the Texas law looks at that. You're in Texas, and I want to walk to my doctor's office. Well, the law says that, you know, there's two ways for someone to tell me that I cannot carry a gun on private property. One way is they can give me verbal notice. So any employee, the nurse... The individual sitting at the front desk can give me verbal notice to inform me that I cannot carry a gun. But let's say they don't give me verbal notice. Let's say they decide to post a sign. They would have to post a 30.06 or a 30.07 sign that tells me that I cannot conceal carry my handgun or open carry my handgun on the property. So 30.06 means I cannot conceal carry. 30.07 means I cannot open carry my handgun with a license on the property. So now let's say, and by the way, that sign's got to be block letters, one inch in height, clear visible to the public in English and Spanish and contrasting colors. It needs to be block letters, one inch in height, clearly visible to the public in English and Spanish and contrasting colors. English needs to be exact wording, Spanish be left to the interpretation. That's, the, that's what the Texas law says for the specifications of the sign. So let's say when I walk into the doctor's office, I go into my doctor's office, let's say they have this sign on the 8 by 11 sheet of paperwork, uh, 8 eight by 11 sheet of paper. Well, you know what? Let's say I didn't see the sign because it was too small. It was on an 8 by 11 sheet of paper. It was too small. I didn't see it, didn't notice it. Let's say when I walked into the doctor's office, um, the, letters, the letters were faded. I didn't see the sign. I didn't notice it. Let's say when I walked into the doctor's office, the sign was on the wall. I didn't see it. I didn't notice it. Well, as of September the 1st, 2019, if I don't see the sign, I don't notice it, then they would have to give me verbal notice. So when I walk to the office, I'm going to make sure I do a good job of concealed carrying my handgun. If I'm doing a good job of concealed carrying my handgun and I don't see the sign, I don't notice it, then they have to give me verbal notice. Then that means I would have to be doing a bad job of concealing my handgun because they would have to give me verbal notice because I didn't see the sign. I didn't notice it. So now, yes, in a situation like that, I can carry my, my handgun with a license in my doctor's office if I didn't see the sign, I didn't notice it, because they would have to give me verbal notice. The only way for a doctor's office to, to go around something like this is they would literally put in, you know, have to be part of their check-in process to tell you verbally, no handguns are allowed. Every single person that checks in at the doctor's office, that would be the solid way to make sure or wand you check you <laughs> with a wand metal detector as you walk into the doctor's office. That's a sure way to make sure you're not carrying your handgun. And just so you know, people, by the way, every time I walked into my doctor's office, I always carry my gun. I carry two guns, 45 and 38 special. That's how I roll. Zach? Yeah, 38 special is a wheel gun, much more reliable. Much more reliable. And it doesn't have a hammer on it. So no matter what happens, if it's, it's not going to snag on anything, there's no hammer to it, that's right. I'll be able to pull pull that trigger every single time. Yeah, you got a nice one in the Smith & Wesson. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, you know, so I make sure I took my own personal protection in my own hands. I'm not going to put it up to the doctor's office to protect me. I'm not going to I'm not going to call 911 wait for the police to protect me. I'm going to I'm going to take my own personal protection in my own hands and protect myself. It is up to me to protect myself, not the police, because the police have no duty to protect you. It's going to be up to me to take my own personal protection in my own hands. So let me bring into the conversation Dr. Boone. Dr. Boone, he's a well, you know what? Dr. Boone, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell people what you do, what's your profession, what's your background. Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. Uh, always a pleasure to be on your show, and I always learn something while I'm listening to you. So, <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, presently working as clinical director at a place called Warrior's Heart, which is a treatment facility for veterans, active duty service members, and first responders exclusively who have uh, what we call co-occurring disorders, substance abuse disorders primarily, and also behavioral health disorders, primarily PTSD. Uh, just as a little background, I spent 26 years in the military, both the Navy and the Army. Uh, and so that's why working at Warrior's Heart is uh, kind of in my wheelhouse. And so that's a little bit about who I am. And see, I never told Dr. Boone this because, uh, well, just so you know, Dr. Boone, I actually am an 80% disabled veteran. Uh, I'm 80%. Well, I'm 50%, so you've got me by 30 there. <laughs> Diggity dog, I make more money than you, Dr. Boone. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. No question about that. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting story that uh, you started the segment off with, the pediatrician on pediatrician. Uh, it sounds like there's much more to the story than you were able to relate. Yes, sir. And, uh, and very unfortunate. And it's probably more stuff that's going to come out from this that we don't know about. Absolutely. So, but I, exactly. I want I exactly. want you to talk about you know what are some of the things that we can do. Let's say there's a family member, someone in our family that has mental health issues. What are some of the things that we can do? Because I get people that will walk into the gun store that will buy a gun. Uh, just about a month ago, on, yeah, about a month ago, I had a young lady walk into the gun store to buy a gun. And we didn't notice anything about this young lady, anything, nothing out of the ordinary. She bought the gun. She passed a background check. She walked out the store. Well, exactly one minute after she walked out of the store, uh, the police showed up looking for this young lady. They said she's got some mental health issues. She wants to commit suicide. You know, where is she located? Well, it, it, you know, after yeah. a bunch of stuff that took place, I had to, you know, I pulled up my security camera footage and I have like 16 cameras around that building. We were able to figure out where this young lady went. She was on foot, and they were able to um, make contact with her just behind the building because she literally left about a minute ago. And so, I want I want people to understand, you know, what are some of the things that they can do, you know, if you know if you if you have a family member that's in in mental crisis, what are some of your options out there? Well, the question um, really is. A matter of prevention and it sounds like my that that may have been a situation in which something worked the police obviously were alerted by someone that this young woman who had apparently some mental issues and maybe some suicidality was going to purchase a gun would you please stop her from using it against herself so that may have been a situation that actually uh, some proactive action was taken and uh, tragedy prevented. But to me, the issue is primary prevention, and you mentioned family. So, so often, as you probably know, Mike, people ignore the signs. They don't want to uh, bring up 
uncomfortable, unpleasant topics such as someone's excessive use of alcohol or their isolation or their, you know, strange or abruptly changed behavior, we as family members tend to let that stuff go. And then the next thing you know, that person has tried to harm himself or possibly harm someone else, uh, or they're just suffering silently because no one will address the problem. So to me, it's family members, loved ones, co-workers, supervisors having the courage to say to that individual, hey, I've noticed that there's been these changes or it seems like you're troubled, let's talk about it. Uh, because most of the time, the other person is going to be relieved that you finally brought it up. They're not going to be angry with you. They're going to be relieved. So, Mike, that's one thing. But if that doesn't happen and the individual is kind of left on his own, you know, there's always the uh, local emergency room. That's my go-to place. If you, as a uh, an individual who is experiencing some kind of you know, emotional, psychological problems, you don't really have to go to the specialist right away. You don't have to come and see me. Just go to your emergency room, Mike. Talk to the nurse. Tell them what's going on. Help will be uh, available to you just through that simple action. All right, so we're talking with Dr. Boone, and we're talking about the shooting that happened earlier this week where a um, one doctor shot another doctor. Police say that they received a gun sh hot shot call around 4.30 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon from the Children's Medical Group office at 1912 West 35th Street. The caller reported that a male subject had enter entered the doctor's office with a gun and was holding hostages inside. According to police, several hostages were being held initially with a total of five employees inside the office initially. No patients or children were in the building when the suspect arrived, police said. Some of the hostages were able to escape while others were later allowed to leave, eventually leaving uh, just 43-year-old Dr. Catherine Lindley Dotson and, his, and the suspect who police have identified as 43-year-old Dr. Bharat Namaruchi. Based on interviews with the hostages, police determined that Namaruchi had been to the office to apply for a volunteer position a week ago. According to police, Namaruchi was a pediatrician who was recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. The hostage, hostage told officers that he was armed with a pistol and what appeared to be a shotgun and had two duffel bags. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Chloe on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back, and we're talking about a hostage situation that unfolded in Austin on Tuesday night that left two dead. As a patient, can you carry a gun in the doctor's office? Also, Brandon Straka and Joe Biggs were arrested for their role in the Capitol riots. So, all right, so we have inside the studio, I actually have uh, Kenneth Flippin. All right, the reason I bought Clint Kenneth inside the studio because Kenneth is very opinionated. On my Facebook page, my personal page, I say, you know what? Let's get this guy into the into the show here. Let's hear what he has to say because he has a lot to say on social media, and I like to talk to people face to face. So we're talking about you know during the break, we're talking about you know this this case of uh, the family, and and the the responsibility lies a lot on the family if you know that there's something wrong with the family member. You know, it's not about guns. It's not about, you know, because a person can use anything, any tool to commit suicide or, you know, to kill someone. So it's not really about gun. It's about, you know, it's, you know, what can we do as a family to, you know, jump into that situation and figure out what we can do uh, to stop a family member or to protect them from killing themselves? Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's a lot more um, both sides shoot accusations at each other. One side wants to take away all your guns and the other side is, you know, total gun freedom with no limitation. And neither, neither of those realities are true. We all got into one-on-one discussions about it. I think we'd find we agree a whole lot more than we disagree. But I just think there's a, a space there where there is family responsibility, but also that goes a lot into both the legal system of people that have criminal uh, backgrounds and also the mental health arena. When you do have somebody in your family that for one reason or another, um, you know, whether it's, you know, institutionalizing that person or uh, because you're worried, uh, wanting to eliminate the possibility of a gun uh, being available for a means of suicide and having those discussions in both a legal psychological uh, realm is where I think we're, we're missing the whole boat because these are the things where we could save some lives by having some common sense reforms where both sides talk in in an informed way instead of just throwing accusations at each other that we don't care about these people uh, because we feel so strongly one way or the other. All right. So, you know, when it comes to a person being a mental defective, though, you know, once you're in a system, there's really no way to get out of that system. So once you you've been admitted into a facility against your will, once you're in it, there's no way to get out of it. I don't know if that's true. I think Why you'd you have to talk to, to, to people that are probably more experienced in the mental health arena. I know that it takes a lot to get a person institutionalized against their will. And I know that when they do that, a lot of times the people that would do that for them, they're only doing it because they love them. Mm-hmm. And if uh, they feel like there's an opportunity for that person to get better, especially if they get institutionalized and they get mental health treatment, which has advanced quite a bit in the last a couple decades. People with paranoid schizophrenia and all of these different disorders before then we were kind of just using whatever treatments were tested. Now there's things that are helping these people and they can find themselves 
um, a way out. And they do have constitutional rights that if they eventually gain their mental health, even if whoever institutionalized them, I think they have pushback uh, in the legal arena to gain back their rights. But again, I'd have to ask experts to 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 really justify what what I feel like is the 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 legal arena they have. All right. So when you when you fill out the 4473, which is the form that you fill out when you walk into the gun store, one of the questions that you're you're answering is uh, is a question 21 F that says that have you ever been adjudicated as a mental defective or have been committed to a mental institution? If you answer yes to that question, that's an automatic no. You cannot buy a gun. There's no background check done on you. It's an automatic no. There's no what if this. There's no what if where you then eventually down the road, you know, you know, released or anything like that. There's no what if. The question is, were you have you ever been committed to a mental institution? You know, if you have, then you cannot purchase a gun. In the state of Texas. Uh federally. That is that, every state in the federal... United States. That's federal law. Well, and, so there's no way out of that. So well, once you're in the system, once you're in, there's no way out when it comes to purchasing a gun. Well, and I would imagine that if a person from that condition took that to the courts, uh, they would probably find that um, what I would consider their First Amendment rights, not their Second Amendment rights, would probably go all the way to the Supreme Court. And a person that had been adjudicated to be healthy or whatever would probably be able to purchase that gun. By just opposing it through the no, court because system. the first part of that question is: Have you ever been adjudicated as a mental defective? So even adjudicated, they actually have that covered. So the only way out of that is you would have to get it expunged or pardoned, get it wiped from your record. That's the only way, and that's hard. That's hard. To well, do. I I agree that would be hard, but I'm also saying let's just take a test example. If you knew somebody that had been in that situation and you said, "Hey, I you know I can't sell you this gun." But you know what? I think we have a legal case here, and you got him a good lawyer. I'm telling you, if you took it to the court, they would probably have a case. And that's how our system works. Yeah. See, the because thing is, the thing is, individuals overcome. We create these laws not because of the exceptions, but because of the rules. The exceptions is where our judicial system says, "Oh, wait, you made too broad a statement there," in saying that anybody that has any legal history, it may be well intentioned. But it's imposing on this person's rights, and, and see so that, that person that, could. And all that it. sounds great. I love. I like what you're saying. But according to the law and what it says here on the 4473, that person cannot be in possession of a firearm. And what you're saying is they need to come up with twenty grand, thirty grand to fight that case and go all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, that's the way our system or works more. because we have a democracy where we work out all these different agreements in a system where so until somebody then, has to until take it then, to the court system, they got to take it. I mean, I'm just saying that's the pragmatics of living in a democratic society right. where we all have to come to agreement on these laws. Just so you know, you know, according to the 4473, if you have ever been adjudicated or as a mental defective or have been ever been committed to a mental institution, you cannot purchase a firearm. They will not conduct a background check. It's automatic. No, there's no back. They will not proceed past this point to even run the background check. Just so you know. All right. So let's go back to Dr. Boone. Dr. Boone. Uh, sir, you know, what's your thoughts on, you know, what do we do as far as mental health? Okay. All right. So we'll get Dr. Boone here back in a little bit. All right. So I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, man, I want to talk about, you know, once again, let me remind you what you're, <laughs> what can you do as a patient? Can you carry a gun in your doctor's office? 
Yeah, you can carry a gun in your doctor's office unless the doctor's office posts a 30.06 and 30.07 sign, unless they tell you verbally. But there's a new the law that went into effect September 1st, 2019, that says that uh, if they post a sign, but you don't see the sign, you don't notice it, now they have to give you verbal notice. So if you have your license to carry handgun, uh, you carry into your doctor's office, you're doing a good job of concealing your handgun. If they don't give you verbal notice because you don't see the sign, you don't notice it, then you can carry your gun. You know, so, um, so yeah, that's the way the law is. So come on back to class. Let us give us a uh, let us give you an update of what are some of the changes in the laws from 2019. Because, ladies and gentlemen, every two years our laws and checks do change. Uh, the our elected officials are you know they're elected into the office you know that even year that odd year they take office that odd year from January to June they're at the Texas State Capitol and they're changing laws and so for those six months January to June things do change so you got to know what the laws are and what are some of the changes every single two years learn those laws last week boy I caused a stir a stir on social media on Facebook. Because people were upset because I said that Senator Bob Hall will single-handedly kill constitutional carry. You know why I said that? Here's why I said that. Because Senator Bob Hall, by putting constitutional carry on the ballot, here's what's going to happen. You know, I'm not, an, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm a chess player. All right, so I play chess. I love chess. Chess is like my favorite game. If I want to kill constitutional carry, here's what I'm hearing. So Beto O'Rourke is going to run for governor. So he's going to run for governor for Texas. Governor Abbott's going to run for reelection. You know what? They're going to the Democrats going to flood Texas with money. You know, regardless, Governor Abbott has a war chest. He's prepared to fight for his seat, his position. He will win his reelection for governor. But guess what? All that money that they push into Texas, they're going to rally a bunch of Democrats to vote. They're going to vote for, you know, for Beto O'Rourke. He's still going to lose. Abbott's going to win. But then constitutional carry what's on the ballot. Guess what? There are a lot of Republicans. I would say at least about 20 percent of Republicans that don't like constitutional carry. They like the license carry handgun system that we have. How do I know this? It's simple. I look at the board of the Texas State Rifle Association. When you look at the Texas State Rifle Association, here's what it is. The members on the board, a lot of them don't like for gun owners to actually carry guns other than police officers. They don't like that. So those people, that 20%, are going to vote against constitutional carry. Constitutional carry will fail if it's on the ballot. It's, it's simple math, people. Wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, don't let him fool you. This this senator, Bob Hall, is trying to single handedly kill constitutional carry. I'm a chess player. I do this. I've been I've been in Texas politics for over 20 years. I know how this game is played. If your elected officials wanted something passed, they would go to the Capitol. They would write a bill. They would bring it to the floor. They would pass it and it would become law. That's how it's done. If we were to put. Concealed carry on campus on the bill in Texas, it would fail. You bring concealed carry on campus, can a license holder carry a handgun inside the building of a college campus on the ballot? That would fail. But if you let if your elected officials bring up a bill, they pass it, it passes, it becomes law, then we're done. That's how it's done. There's no there's no ands or buts about it. All right, so also, late in the hour, I want to talk about the Proud Boys. I want to talk about the leader, Enrique uh, Terrio. He was an FBI informant. 
He says he he says he was not. He says, you know, he's a victim of, you know, they're just blowing this out of proportion. Also, I want to talk about the Proud Boys uh, organizer, Joe Biggs. He's been charged in the Capitol riot. Also, he also has a GoFundMe page out there. I want to talk about what's happening in downtown Austin with our homeless situation. Man, I tell you, uh, the city of Austin, they're buying hotels. They're buying a hotel to put the homeless in. What's happening is as you get, you know, those that who did not die of COVID-19, this is going to get flagged on Facebook and Twitter. Those who did not die of COVID-19, you know, that are still alive, they're actually going to get into a hotel and new people are moving to to city of Austin to become homeless. All these people that I'm seeing on Ben White and I, uh, Ben White in 290 and Manshack in 290 are new people moving in. The old people have died. A lot of them have died of COVID-19. These are things they don't tell you. We're going to talk about that. Also, want to talk about HR 127. HR 127, that's a bill in Congress, a U.S. Congress, that they want to register your guns. They want you to take a 24-hour class. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Austin's Talk, 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about a lot of stuff today. Talking about the hot situation that unfolded in Austin, Texas on Tuesday. We're talking about as a patient, can you carry a gun in your doctor's office? Yes, unless they post a sign to tell you verbally. If you don't see the sign, you don't notice it. Then they got to give you verbal notice. So with your license, you can carry your gun in the doctor's office. I do. I carry my gun everywhere. Everywhere. Zach, I carry my gun everywhere, Zach. Everywhere. All three of them? I'm not, I'm not answering that question. Are you police? Are you law enforcement? I don't answer those questions. Maybe. You have it right now, don't you, Michael? I'm not telling you. I can't answer that. You could be an undercover cop. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I don't answer those questions. I don't talk to police. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And also want to talk to Brandon Straka and uh, talk about Brandon Straka and Joe Biggs. Uh, they were arrested for their role in the Capitol riots. I want to talk about that. Um, but you know what? Hey, uh, so uh, John, Johnny Camarillo, he says, hey, when is the price of ammo, ammo going back down? Any feedback on this? Well, yes, Johnny. <laughs> well, you know what, Johnny? I think we're done for. Let me see. The best way I can say this without getting deleted or dumped on uh, the live radio show is we are done for as it it comes for ammo for the next three years. That's it. You're done. You know, you know, flip a lid. That's it. It's all over next three years. You know, we're going to be backed up on ammunition. So uh, we're at a precipice where you have the highest demand of firearms in the history of this country. That's where we are. And so it's called supply and demand. That's what a lot of people don't understand. So the supply is low. The demand is high. The price is going to be high. That's what it is. Come on, man. <laughs> yes, come on. Don't you know this? You know, Chris Rock said it best. What did Chris Rock say? He said, uh, basically, you don't even need gun control. All you need is ammo control. You yeah, make it- a bullet 500 bucks a piece, there's going to be no more... You know, drive-by <laughs> shootings with collateral damage. Yeah, 
And I tell you, it's funny when people come into the shop, you know, they come in, hey, you got a box of ammo, like, you know, nine mil? No, we don't. Not unless you're taking a class with us. If you're taking a light scary handgun course, we'll save some ammo. You know, but if you're just trying to buy ammo, you know, box of ammo because you need some ammo to go to the range, we're not going to sell it to you. You know why? It's supply and demand. If I sell ammo to everyone that walked into the gun store who wanted to buy a box of ammunition, I'll be sold out in an hour. And instead, you know, I say that for people who are taking a class with us. You're taking your life carry handgun course. We got some ammo to sell to you. So you, you got to blame capitalism for the high price of ammo. Is that right? Capitalism. That's right. You know, supply, <laughs> supply and, demand. and demand. That's right. You get it. You get it. You know, what are some of the things that we agree on, Mr. Kenneth Flippin? Well, I, I think we agree that there is a place for for some restrictions, like with background checks. We probably— No, just, we don't agree on that. You you don't think there's any place for a background No place check? whatsoever on the restrictions. Even though— If I want to carry a missile, them, I should be able to own a missile. Even though you enforce them in your own uh, gun shop. If a per look, if a, a family member comes into the gun store, they say, like, my family member has some issues, something's going on. They're, you know, they want to commit suicide. That's if a family member says that, they contact me, I have to take that serious. Right. You know, because I don't want that on my conscience. So it's more of a conscious thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, what about the person that's not your family member but um has a criminal background check that if you did go through the proper procedure? You wouldn't be able to get them a gun. Do you want to be able to sell them a gun? So I went to the proper background check, and this person still passed the background check, which this person did. And then what happened? Well, I'm saying they, they – no, they failed the background check. Oh, they failed. Hey, that's do on you, them. Do you want to sell, sell the gun to that person? No, absolutely not You know, because the law says, no, I can't sell it because it, it's very simple. Uh, have you been convicted of a felony? Have you been admitted un, you know, against your will in a uh, mental facility? Uh, are you a disowned be discharged from the military? There are certain things that, hey – Do you, you agree with any of those? Uh, I don't agree with the – uh, you, a controlled substance such, such as marijuana. I don't agree with that, but the law says yes, so I'm going to follow the law. Okay, so I would say— So that... here's what I do. What I do is I work in the context of the law. I say, you know what? I'm going to go to the U.S. Capitol. I'm going to try to get that law changed. I work exactly. with the law is and what I, I do. Would, uh, I would work with you on that to say let's come together between the different varying— You look like a pothead, so I believe that. <laughs> and <laughs> we would come to some kind of reasonable uh, view of— what are reasonable restrictions and what aren't? And then we advocate those to our elected leaders, and they ultimately create those laws. And we okay. and you ultimately enforce them as a gun uh, owner, right? Right, right. And so right. I'm saying you actually, by that very nature, are agreeing that there is some reasonable limitation on gun, on, gun ownership and that you as – a no, person that I, sells agree, them. I agree that there's some rules that I don't like that I have to follow because I'm forced to follow them, and I want to get them changed, but I don't agree with them. But do you agree with some of them? Is there anybody that you don't think that you should be able to sell a gun to? I think, with, I think that if, you, if, you're, if we don't have you locked up for some reason or another, if there's no reason for me to keep you locked up either in jail or in a mental health facility, then if you want to buy a gun, you should be able to buy a gun. So even if you if you if I'm released from jail, I'm I'm a convicted felon and I've been released, you know, I've been released from jail. I'm off a of paper. Then I should be able to possess a firearm and have it anywhere I want to have it. No matter 
whether you've used no matter what those guns and you've used guns in the past. That is correct because they they put me in jail. I paid my debt to society, so I so I've been released. Then I should be fear. I should have all my rights back. Okay, well I, I would argue that. See, I'm much crazy. I'm much crazier than you thought. Well, no, I I, I thought that's about <laughs> exactly crazy where you were, and I would just say <laughs> that we have the right as a society to fundamentally disagree. Right. And even you would agree with this, obviously, sure. that if we come to an agreement on that, you're going to enforce the law in whatever way we as a democracy Absolutely. come I'm, to I'm, enforce I'm going to enforce the law because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be convicted of a felony. I don't right. want to lose my gun rights forever. So I'm going to have to, unfortunately, enforce that law. But I'm going to work with my, my U.S. congressman, my U.S. senator, you know, and try to get those laws changed. You know, we don't live in a democracy, right? Mm. This is a constitutional republic. Well, those things are not contradictory. There are a lot of places that call themselves a republic. You can live in a republic because it gives you rights as a citizen. In America, we live in a constitutional democratic republic. All the words have meaning separately, but they also contribute to one another. We control our rights in the republic through our democracy. We're a democracy because we elect our elected leaders. That's what makes us a democracy. What makes us a republic is our constitution and the rights that it gives. You can have both at the same time, and it's not a contradiction to say we're in a republic and say, oh, well, we're not in a democracy. Well, we happen to be in both. Repu Russia happens to be a place that calls itself a republic, but because it doesn't have a democracy, the republic doesn't really exist. So I'd actually say the opposite is true. You can only really have a republic if you have a democracy, and you can only really have a truly democratic republic if democracy is more important than the republic. What do you think is more important, the republic or democracy? I actually think the democracy is more important because both of these are concepts, human-created concepts that we've decided to govern ourselves by. And the fact that a republic gives us all individual constitutional rights, and that is fundamentally important because we use democracy to create slavery, but we also use democracy to destroy slavery, destroy slavery in this country, at least, you know, slavery that's uh, institutionalized by government. And so I'd say democracy is more important because it allows us to evolve as a society and make our republic better. And so both are important, but I have to put more importance on democracy. But it could also let us devolve. If 51% of the population votes to kill and eat the other 49%. That's right. And that's why, ideally, the best government is one that's a republic run by, like, a really wonderful dictator that loves us and is wonderful to us <laughs> and gives all of our freedoms and is super smart and intelligent. There but that's not realistic. And uninformed and un I'm sorry. And uneducated. And we make a lot of mistakes. And we do horrible things to each other through our democracy, like slavery. But... As bad a form of government as democracy is, it's better than all other forms of government. Maybe not the constitutional republic. Well, again, I think the two are, are tied together. I mean, that's what makes the great American experiment great, is that it does involve both. If we could get to a constitutional republic where we need the least amount of government possible, and we need the least amount of it to protect ourselves from each other. That'll never happen. Well, it <laughs> probably will never happen, but I think we will evolve to that state eventually.
It's that's just a, a big assumption there. It, it is. That we'll just rise up. We will become better. Well, we've a overcome a lot of smarter. We've overcome a lot of Haven't you our seen problems idiocracy? in the past. Yeah. And yeah. we may evolve in that's that direction, now. but we could also evolve in the other direction. I mean, look at the international poverty rate and the, uh, of extreme poverty and people yeah, that people die of starvation. Out of poverty by the tens of thousands every day. Around the world, over the last 30 years, tens of millions of people have been brought out of poverty and out of uh, starvation and so forth that existed at much higher rates before we started doing all of this international work. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we can change and make things better. We can choose to go either way. And Derek Wills is on the edge of his seat. He's got a lot to say. We come back from the break. We're going to bring Derek Wills. He's on Skype. going to bring him into this conversation. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. (laughs) And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talkin'. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Oh, man, as we look at a beautiful picture of downtown Austin, Texas, the skyline is beautiful. Oh, this is a beautiful city. It's no longer the best kept secret in Texas. (laughs) We've been found. We've been discovered. Now they're moving here from New York and California all over the place. It's time for me to go. (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> it is time to go. They have found us. We're no longer beautiful. It's no longer the, the best kept secret, but it's still beautiful. No longer the best kept secret. We got like, uh, man, what's that tall building that's downtown? Uh, independent. The Independent. That's the tallest one so far right now. Mm-hmm. And then next one after that is what? The Austonian. The Austonian. Right? Yeah, it's beautiful. I tell you, I love looking at the beautiful skyline of downtown Austin. Beautiful. All right, so let me bring in Derek Wills. I know you're at the edge of your seat. Derek, you got a lot to say. What is going on? What are your thoughts? Oh, I have lots of thoughts. Um, (laughs) So uh, uh, my question is – I, I I forget your guest's name. In, Kenneth in flipping because um, he's flipping the mouth on Facebook. I apologize, sir. (laughs) No problem. That's what I like to say. He's flipped. So I, I got a question for you. Do you as an individual have the authority over me to tell me what I can do with my life, my property, and the fruits of my labor? Of course not. Okay. So what if you, Mike, Gary, and everybody else in the studio banded together, would y'all as a group have the authority to have more of a say over my life, property, and the fruits of my labor? Of course not. So what gives the state that authority? Because we... As members of that state, as citizens of that state, as people that have um, agreed to abide by the laws of that state by continuing to be members of that state, we come up with all kinds of agreements, like a speed limit on the road. You know, I like, never agreed to any of that. Well, I'm did, did sure you agree that to the you, National Firearms Act of 1934. I'm sure that you didn't agree to all of the different restrictions and speed limits because it's a complicated society with a lot of different laws. And that's why we elect our leaders to 
create those laws. And so to say okay, that okay. none of those laws, to say that they don't apply because a group can't tell you what to do is to say none of those laws apply, including a law against murder, for example. Uh, well, I'll get into that if, if we have time. Uh, but so let's say that you and your great great grandfather, I'm sorry, your great great grandfather enters into a very complicated contract, a business contract with another company. Should you be tied to the terms of that contract just because you're the great great grandson? <clears throat> well, it probably depends on the legitimacy of that contract. If my great 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 grandfather, which was involved here in Texas and the uh, civil war that we fought um, as a slave owner. Uh, you can probably figure out what side he fought on. If his uh, little business that he created out of that, if I somehow owned it and there were contractual agreements that I had made that still existed legally, I probably would be obligated. So yeah, it's possible. But you never signed into that contract. If you never signed a contract, you can't be bound by the rules and terms and conditions of that contract. Sure I can. If if I inherit that business from a parent or from a great grandparent or whatever. No, no, no. I, I don't I, I didn't I, have to be there originally signing all of those things to take on whatever legal obligations are made by that. Under no circum what you're saying is that people who are now long dead have bound you to a contract that you weren't even alive to agree to. And as, you think that that is okay? As long as I'm operating under that, just the same way that I'm operating under the same things that created the Second Amendment. Like, well, I think the Second saying, Amendment still applies. To, don't you agree? Uh, to me, the, the, the wording of the Second Amendment, the, its very existence is irrelevant to me because I believe in natural rights. Well, what about the First Amendment? Statism. Okay, so, same, so you, you, you don't think that any of those actually give you any rights whatsoever because no, you believe none of the none of the bill okay. of rights gives me well, we, anything. then we just disagree i think that those actually um uh make a real difference in making the the natural rights that you're talking about explicit among men and that's where a democracy comes in is that we take those natural rights and we use our intellect to argue them into a way that they can be framed into a constitution so we can live among each other civilly. Okay. Do, are you, do you have your life? Are you alive because the government says that you're alive? Or is that a natural right of yours? It's, it's transcendent upon government. Like It transcends government. Of course it, it transcends natural. government. Government oh, okay. is, a, is a human-created creation in out of our minds, just like all of these other uh, institutions. And so, of course, it doesn't give me... Uh, anything. I only enter into agreements with it because I, in my human consciousness, agree to be part of a society, just like I can agree to be part of a church or a community. And if you don't agree, why should you still be bound by that contract? Well, it's just like all, all things that are complicated. There are areas of, of, of gray. I can disagree about some fundamental issues or some technical issues, but agree in principle that there are larger reasons why entering into that institution is valuable, whether it's a governmental institution where I say, I'm glad to be part of the state of Texas, where I can go advocate to change the laws to make them more like I, I think they should be. And you have the same freedom. I have that ability to choose to be in that or out of that. You can move to a place where you have just your 
uh, rights as an individual that God gave you um, and not to be part of a society. But if you're going to be in our society, you either can be part of that or you can believe whatever you want. And See, I don't say the that there's anything wrong with you believing that you have your natural rights and none of this applies to you. That's your See, freedom that's of thing. belief, too. I don't have the, that choice. Because if I were to move out, if, if I were to buy a thousand acres in the middle of nowhere, right, and I were to become completely self-sufficient, the state would still extort any income that I grant, uh, any or gain. They would extort the value of my property. And should I fail to comply with any of that, they will send men with guns to either arrest me or kill me should I uh, resist that attempted kidnapping. So I don't have that choice. I live in a state of uh, duress where I am forced to comply with the royal edicts from this uh, body of men and women whom I've never met, who ha have more of a say over my life, my property, and the fruits of my labor than I do. I think and that's all in your own head, my friend. I think that really? all of us have more control over our lives than we do than other people that we imagine because they believe they're part of an institution that we allow them to give that control. Okay. Do you, do you pay your property taxes every year? Well, I don't own a home, so I can't say that I do except for in the fact that I pay my landlord and I know that he pays his property taxes. So in that transverse way, yes, I do, sir. Okay. Uh, what about your income? Do, do you, do you pay your income taxes every year? Um, I do when I have enough income to actually be taxed. Right. And and do you agree with the amount that you are taxed or you just comply from a state of duress because you know that if you don't pay this, uh, then you will be met with force? Well, I agree with the fundamentals of how the system uh, has been instituted, and I'm very appreciative to have the roads and the school system and all the other things like the military that protects our rights. I'm more than glad to be part of a system that I disagree with parts of it. Well, that doesn't answer my question. If if you are, do you disagree with the amount of tax that you pay? And if you do, do you pay the amount that you disagree with from a state of duress, or do you happily pay it? I happily pay the amount that. I agree that I should have to pay, but based and on a system that I'm in, well, the system, whatever they charge me is something that I, by being part of this system, have agreed to. And whether or not, I, again, you can go to other places where there aren't uh, these heavy taxation systems. There's countries that, that literally you can go to that there won't be that many taxes, and you'll also still have your your rights that come from God. Except that I, I won't, and that's the problem, because no matter where I go, the state, no matter what state it is, and by state I mean the general form of government, will always invariably have more of a say over my life, my property, and the fruits of my labor than I as the individual do. And that's the problem. You were talking earlier about mental health. Well, who establishes those guidelines? The state. And even if you disagree with them because you have duly elected them, uh, that means that you agree by proxy, I guess. But the thing is, under no circumstances, and I'm talking even current law, statutory law, 
is any contract considered valid if the parties do not explicitly agree to all of the terms and conditions? But yet whenever it comes to the government and how we uh, – in our process, we are bound by all of it regardless of our agreement. I'm, I absolutely disagree with Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, specifically where it grants Congress the power to extort the fruits of my labor to, in the form of taxation. Yet I am bound by that even though it was written as well as the tax code written before I was even born, enacted by men who are long dead, and yet I am still bound by those. You don't see any fundamental issue with those. At no, all. because I see that, you know, you know, it's you know what, hold that thought. We come Go back from the break. I'm gonna let you answer that question. All right. Frank Navarro says, Michael Cargill, you mean to tell me you never came across a person in your life that you looked at and said to yourself, this person should not probably own a gun. Yes, I see that come across that every single day at the gun store. Let me tell you. And my employees say, you know what? Don't sell this person a gun. And you know what we do? We don't sell them a gun. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace, this is Maj Touré. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Austin's Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about, man, let's talk, let's go over some news around the country. Let's talk about the Proud Boys organizer, Joe Biggs, has been charged in Capitol Riot. Now, Joe Biggs is a good friend of mine. I like Joe Biggs. You know, people saying, oh, man, Joe Biggs, he's with the Proud Boys. You know, Joe Biggs, he's not racist. Joe Biggs is a good friend of mine. I actually like Joe. We hang out. We've had some drinks together. Uh, Joe Biggs is a great guy. Uh, but he has been charged and arrested, you know, with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, Proud Boys organizer Joe Biggs was arrested in Florida on Wednesday in, in connection with the riot at the Capitol earlier this month adding to the growing list of federal cases against those who took part in the mob. Biggs, an organizer of the far-right all-male group of self-described Western, I don't know what that is. Chauvinist. Chauvinist, was, was identified through multiple videos and photos, according to a criminal complaint signed by an FBI agent who worked the case. Now, the charges say he was one of the first to enter the Capitol building, through a door that was opened by a small group that got in by breaking a window with a police body shield. So we'll see how this all develops, and hopefully we'll get Joe Biggs on the show to let us know, you know, his side of the story, because we're getting only one side right now, because I love to hear from Joe Biggs to find out, you know, what his take is on some of this stuff. Also, Brandon Straka, we've had him on the show before as well. Uh, Trump activist Brandon Straka was charged over the Capitol riot after the FBI noticed him posting video of himself there. Uh, prosecutors say, you know, this right wing activist Brandon Straka is among those charged over the January 6th Capitol riot. The FBI received multiple tip offs of footage he had posted to social media at the event. In the footage, he is said to have shouted, go, go at those entering the building. Uh, so we'll find out as this progresses along also what's going to happen with Brandon Straka. 
And then also, have you heard about HR 127? That's right, HR 127. Man, take a look at this bill. I want you guys to look at this. HR 127. So this bill says a lot. It's all about the licensing of firearms and ammunition possession, registration of firearms. And this is a federal bill. This is national. This is not in Texas. This is at in D.C. at the Capitol. This is a bill that's sponsored by uh, Miss Jackson Lee. You know, she's a, she wrote this bill. And this bill says a lot. You know, what are some things you see in the bill, Zach? Oh, man, this is a nasty one. This it's is very nasty. Disgusting. It's dirty. So it's a federal bill. It's not just a state bill. This I, would even I would even wipe myself with, with using this toilet paper. I wouldn't touch it. No. Mm-mm. So it's a federal bill. It basically says if you have a gun or if you're going to buy a gun, then you have to jump through every hoop imaginable. So it's basically going to be a registry. They're going to have all firearms registered. And and they want to know, they when they say register your firearm, they're saying they want to know the make, the model, the serial number of the firearm, the identity of the owner of the firearm, the date the firearm was acquired by the owner, and where the firearm is or will be stored. Yeah, and who else is in the, the house, right? Oh, and when it comes to who's in the house... Man, they want to know, they want everyone who's going to be around the firearm inside the house to have a mental eval. Anyone that's going to be in that household, you got to have a mental eval. Yeah, and if you're ever going to loan that gun out, if you're going to let a friend shoot that gun, then you have to give notice to the federal government. Mm. And they say, in the case of a firearm acquired before the effective date of this section, within three months after the effective date of this section, or in the case of a firearm acquired on, on or after effective date, on the date of the owner requires the firearm. So they they want to know a lot, and they want to know it real quick within three days, three months, three months. Yeah, they're going to do a background check on you. They want to do that full mental health evaluation. You have to go through 24 hours of firearms training as well. <laughs> and they want to change the age to 21. You got to be yep. 21 in order to own a firearm. <laughs> and then you have you know to and also apply for a license. That license they want you to apply, they want you to have 24 hours of training. And you have to get an insurance policy. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. On issuance of the license, the individual will have in effect an insurance policy no grease. under subsection D. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you. And the holder of a license under uh is issued on this uh subparagraph supplies proof that the individual owns an antique firearm. It, it gets into a lot of different details, a lot of fine lines, man. This thing has some teeth to it. This will bite. And you know what? They have the power to pass this. Because uh, the Democrats control the House, they control the Senate, and the White House. So there's no reason why they can't pass it. They can go in this all alone, all by themselves. This can pass. That yeah, and happen. they even have another subsection where they have different requirements for, quote, military-style weapons. Mm, mm. Where you have to, uh, okay, as deemed necessary by the licensed psychologists involved. Ooh. Evaluation included. A psychological evaluation of other members of the household. I'm starting to suck up to all my psychiatrists right now. Ooh, as part of the psychological <laughs> evaluation, the licensed psychologist interviewed any spouse of the individual, any former spouse of Ooh, the individual, no, and not at least my... two other persons who are a member of the family of or an associate of the individual. I hope you good friends with your... To determine... To further determine the state of the mental, emotional, and relational stability of the individual in relation to firearms. I hope you're not friends with your ex. 
<laughs> you I, hope you are, I hope you are yeah. friends with your ex. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, they're going to get you here. This is a good one. Oh, wow. They will interview your ex to ask them if you're fit. Okay, you ready for this? The term military-style weapon means any firearm or copies of duplicates of the firearm in any other any caliber known as Norinco, Mitchell, Polytechnologies, uh, Action Arms, Israeli Military Industri- Industries, UZI, uh, Beretta, Colt. Colt? <laughs> Colt AR-15, baby. That's right. Steyr, Intratech. In that Tech 9, Tech DC 9, Tech 22, revolving cylinder shotguns such as or similar to the Street Sweeper or Striker 12, a semi-automatic rifle that has an ability to accept a detachable magazine and has at least two of a folding telescoping stock, a pistol grip that protrudes, conspic- um, protrudes beneath the action of the weapon, a bayonet mount, a flash suppressor, a grenade launcher. Or threaded a, barrel. A semi-automatic pistol that has an ability to accept a detachable magazine and has at least two of the an ammunition magazine that, that attaches to the pistol outside of the pistol grip, a threaded barrel capacity of accepting a barrel extender, a shroud that is attached to or partially or completely encircles the barrel uh, and that permits the shooter to hold the firearms with the non-trigger hand without being fired, a manufactured weight of 50 ounces or more, a semi-automatic version of the automatic firearm, a semi-automatic shotgun that has at least two of the folding telescopic stock, a pistol grip that protrudes um, a fixed magazine uh, capacity in excess of five rounds, an ability to accept a detachable magazine. It, it, It includes a lot. Jeez. Derek. Derek Wills. This is why the state is evil. They will always be evil because they always seem to find a way to have more of a say over your life, your property, and the fruits of your labor than you do. This is a violation of property rights. This is a violation of your right to to own the tools you deem necessary to defend your life and your property. They are They are castrating everyone. But, you know, I guess since we duly elected them, it's okay, right? It's just, it's just fine. We'll just lobby the legislature next time. We'll take it up with the courts, and the courts are, you know, they're an independent group from the government, and they'll see the error of their ways, and they'll strike it down, just like the bump stock. Oh, wait, never mind. I'm, not, I'm so so stupid. Uh, there, there, there will be ways to fix this. It's fine. It's duly elected. We we did it. It's it it's the will of the people, guys, okay? And, and so I got a question. Do you do you, any of y'all actually give this a real chance of becoming law? Yeah. Okay. I will make yes. any of you a wager. I'll give you three to one odds that President uh, uh, Biden doesn't sign anything close to this. Three to I one bet, odds. You take you. me right. <laughs> we know, just shook hands. For I those. know that got dumped. <laughs> because. Oh come on! That you was, know, there's that also was clean. A, there's that was also clean. a bill in the Texas House right now to make Texas uh, its own republic again. It could pass. It really could. You know what? We'd lose Social Security. Let me let me go on fear mongering. Why do you think this this doesn't have a chance to pass? You got like ten seconds. Because about eighty-five percent of it is probably um, pragmatically impossible to get through a Senate where Manchin is not gonna vote with Democrats to make sure that they lose. Uh, political relevance for the next 20 years because they're not idiots because they're not going to pass something that they know can't be enforced and isn't reasonable. So you think there's a portion of this that would actually pass? No. Not even a portion. Maybe background checks. 
So you think Universal Background Check's going to pass? Yeah. Right, maybe we'll t- we get that done. We'll talk about that next Sunday. Maybe. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 